And so our passage, Galatians 6, 1 and 2, the words will be up on the screen. Paul says, brothers, and when he says that, he's saying believers. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. This morning, I hope we see three things. Number one, I hope we see what it means to bear one another's burdens, and what motivates us to bear one another's burdens, and then finally, what might hinder us from bearing one another's burdens. And the big idea that I want you to walk away with this morning, what I want to be in your head as you walk into the parking lot, is if you're a believer in Christ, you must gladly commit to bearing the burdens of other believers. If you're a believer in Christ, you must gladly commit to bearing the burdens of other believers. This is a commitment that we must make as believers because it is a command from our Lord Jesus Christ. First, let's look at the last seven words of verse 2. Let's start at the end and then we'll go backwards. At the end of verse 2, right after Paul says, bear one another's burdens, he says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And it's interesting that Paul uses this term, law of Christ, especially in this letter. Because false teachers had infiltrated the church in Galatia, and they were teaching a heresy. And they were saying that Christians must obey the law of Moses in order to be made right with God. What they were saying is that it's not enough to just have faith in Christ. It's not enough just to trust the eternal Son of God to save you. You must continue to obey the law of Moses. And so that is a huge heresy. Paul uses, I I encourage you, go back and just read this letter. He uses some very colorful language throughout this letter. He calls this a false gospel. Now, the law of Moses, or the old covenant, it was a works-based agreement between God and the nation of Israel. And Paul explains to the Galatians that this agreement has been set aside. It has served its purpose, Paul says, And it's no longer needed. It was needed for a temporary period of time, but now it's been set aside. The writer of Hebrews says says it this way in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. He says that the new covenant, how God relates to his people now, the new covenant is a better covenant built on better promises. So that's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. Paul tells them that God is no longer relating to his people on the basis of the old covenant. He even goes as far as to say, if you want to try to be made right with God by obeying the law, you will be severed from Christ. He says you can't do both. You can't trust Christ and trust your obedience. You can't do both. The only way to be made right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's Paul's big point in this letter. So believers are no longer under the law of Moses. Now, any time Paul brought this up, it made a lot of people feel uncomfortable. And that still happens today. But when Paul would bring this up, it made people uncomfortable because the Jewish religion, for over a thousand years, it had revolved 
around the law of Moses. The giving of the law on Mount Sinai, that was one of those pinnacle moments in the history of Israel. It's something they talked about over and over and over again. And so this was a big deal. And the awkward question that would come up when Paul would teach this is a question that was something like this. Are you saying that we can live however we want to? Are you saying that we're no longer under the law so we can just do whatever we want? Are you saying that there are no laws, that there are no commands? And so the answer to that that Paul gave is of course not. Of course that's not what he's saying. Paul addresses this question in his letter to the Romans in chapter 6. And in verse 1 of that letter he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then again in verse 15, he says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. He says it a little differently in his letter to the Galatians in the chapter before this one. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. And in this context, when he says freedom, he's talking about freedom from the law of Moses. This is what he just spent four chapters talking about. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or as an opportunity to live a sinful life. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's point is that God's people are no longer under the law of Moses, but they're under a different law. We have a new set of commands. It's a different covenant with different laws. And so what are these commands? That's one question we need to look at this morning. What is the law of Christ? In our passage last week that Kirk preached on, John chapter 13 In in verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is the starting point of what Paul calls the law of Christ. Jesus gives this new commandment to his disciples, and then later on after he ascends back to heaven, he doesn't stop giving commands. He gives additional commands through the apostles as they write scripture. And so we find these commands mainly in the New Testament letters in teaching passages like we see in Galatians, like we'll look at this morning. Now perhaps the biggest difference between the law of Moses and the law of Christ is that under the law of Moses, you obeyed so that you could be blessed. That was the promise. God said, if you obey the words of this covenant, these commands, if you obey them perfectly, I will bless you. If you disobey at all, I will curse you. So it was a works-based conditional covenant between God and the nation of Israel. So they obeyed so that they could be blessed. Under the law of Christ, we obey because we've already been blessed. That's a huge difference. If you're in Christ... You cannot get any more blessed than you already are. 
Ephesians 1 says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because we're in Christ. Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, has purchased our eternal salvation through his death on the cross. And he promised that we will be with him forever. And he's given us his spirit as a guarantee of that promise, Ephesians 1 says. We can't get any more blessed. It's impossible. And so we're not trying to obey a bunch of laws and a bunch of commands so that we will be blessed by God. We obey because we've already been blessed. That's the huge difference between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. Looking back at our passage, Galatians chapter 6, let's look back at verse 2. Let's look at the command that Paul gives. He says, bear one another's burdens. That's the command. And so as believers, we're obligated to obey this command. We're obligated to live this way. So what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? Let's talk about that. First of all, I think we can all agree that not everything is a burden. Just because something challenges us or frustrates us or a situation or circumstance doesn't go our way doesn't necessarily mean that it's a burden. Some things in life, and for lack of a better term, are what we might call normal responsibilities. And these are things or situations that as mature adults we're expected to be able to take care of. We might need occasional help or encouragement or guidance or wisdom from other people. But by and large, these normal responsibilities are something that we can carry. And then there's another category, burdens. And burdens are those things or those situations that we cannot carry by ourselves. We need help. We need other believers to come alongside of us and help us carry that weight. Those are burdens. And so as I was preparing for this, I came across a list of six, uh, six situations that I want us to look at and determine, are these burdens or are these normal responsibilities? And so I got these from Tony Morita's commentary on the book of Galatians. And so I just borrowed them from him. Now, as I go through these, I want you to just think to yourself, is this a burden or is this a normal responsibility? Situation one, a young guy who constantly gets up late for work or school because he stays up late playing video games all night asks you to wake him up every morning so that he does not lose his job or flunk out of school. Burden or normal responsibility? Situation number two, normal responsibility. Thank you. A guy who spends all his money on nice clothes, video games, and weekend trips refuses to look for a job or budget his money, and instead he asks you for money. I think that one's obvious too. Situation three, a businessman works 12-hour days, including some Saturdays, and he asks you to take his son to all of his baseball practices and games. Situation four, a married couple has three children, and one day there's an accident. One of the parents dies in a car wreck. The remaining parent and the kids have needs, both, both physical and financial. Situation five, 
a husband abandons his wife for another woman, leaving her with four kids. She needs help meeting daily responsibilities. In situation six, an older faithful church member gets sick and is having a hard time. She needs help with meals, transportation, and occasional living expenses. And so when it comes to situations one, two, and three, I think we'd all agree these are what we would call normal responsibilities, right? You need to carry your own load when it comes to responsibilities like going to bed and waking up on time, working a job and spending money wisely, and raising your kids. Those are normal responsibilities. But in situations four, five, and six, these are burdens, right? You need help when it comes to bearing the burden of grief or abandonment or loneliness or single parenting or the burdens that come with older age. You see the difference, burden versus normal responsibilities. And so I came to this church back in 2011. I've been here almost six years. Next month will be six years. And during my six years here, I have seen... Time and time again, believers in this church bearing one another's burdens. I could literally spend the rest of the time just telling stories of how I've seen this played out. And I think of a couple. uh, the, The first one I think about is the Harris family. You guys have probably heard their story. Last year, Josh and Joy and their two boys were up in Washington, D.C., and their little boy got sick. He had an asthma attack, and so they took him to the hospital And things got worse while he was there. He ended up being put on a ventilator. And there were many times during those days where Josh and Joy feared losing their son. And so this was a huge deal. And while this was going on in D.C., God was working in the hearts of their small group. And he was stirring in their hearts to serve this family as best as they could. And so several people from their small group went up to D.C. and visited them and brought them stuff. And many people sent them cards and letters just encouraging them to trust God during that time. And Josh tells the story. A few people actually broke into their house so that they could clean up the house and so that they could do some painting, so that they could do some yard work while he was away. They were away from home nearly a month. And we were also able to raise thousands of dollars to help with medical expenses. And so this is what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. Another example, I think about the Mater family, Adam and Megan and their one-year-old son. A few years ago, Megan started feeling bad, so she went to the doctor. And the doctors, for several months, they couldn't tell her what was wrong. And Things got worse. She ended up being hospitalized twice. She ended up where she couldn't continue to work. She had to stay at home. And she was put on numerous medications. And again, there were many times during her illness where Adam and all those that loved her feared for her life. And during this time, it was amazing to see our church rallied around them and served them in countless ways. Our church raised, once again, we had huge yard sales, fundraisers, raised thousands of dollars to help with medical expenses, 
rallied around them, encouraged them, did all we could to serve them. If you were a part of our church back then, what you saw was burden bearing. That's exactly what it is. And by the way, these two stories I tell, the Harris family and the Motter family, you can find both of them on our website along with many other stories of how God has blessed us. We also see many examples of burden bearing throughout scripture. One of my favorite is Acts chapter four. And Acts chapter four, this is not long after the day of Pentecost and it's not long after the birth of the church. And so at the festival of Pentecost, we read about this in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples and, and it attracts a lot of attention. And then Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon. And he, he says, Jesus has risen from the grave and Jesus is the Messiah. He preaches this sermon and Acts chapter two says 3,000 people believed. And then, a, a, I don't know if it was a couple days later, but a couple chapters later, not long after that, same thing happens again. And 5,000 more people become believers. And this was probably just men that were counted in that time. So it's several thousand believers. And what this was, was you had several thousand displaced people now. Because you had had people that had traveled hundreds of miles to Jerusalem for this festival of Pentecost. And so many of them become believers. And they could go back home. They could travel all the way back home. But there's no church. There's no other Christians. The gospel's not being proclaimed back home. And so many of them decide to stay in Jerusalem. And so they have no homes, no food, no jobs. Many people are in need. And so let's read what happens in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. God's word says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet." And it was distributed to each as any had need. And so once again, this is what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. Now, if you'll remember, at the beginning, I said that the big idea that I wanted you to walk away with was that if you're a believer in Christ, you must gladly commit to bearing the burdens of other believers. Now, I added the word gladly to that sentence on purpose. And you might substitute that word out with joyfully, eagerly, excitedly, intentionally, or even happily. And the reason I say that is because when Christ commands us to bear one another's burdens, and this is Christ commanding us, he's just commanding us through Paul the Apostle. When he commands us to bear one another's burdens, He doesn't mean do that begrudgingly or out of a sense of obligation. Guilt should not be what motivates us to bear one another's burdens. In verse 7, 
Actually, I skipped a bit. Here we go. Now, this is just as Paul told the Corinthians, if you'll remember a few weeks ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we looked at. In verse 7, he says this, and he's talking about giving financially to a church in need, which just happens to be the church in Jerusalem. In verse 7, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And look at these last six words. For God loves a cheerful giver. And what he's saying there is God is pleased when we give cheerfully. God is pleased when we're sacrificially generous. Let me tell you this morning, God is pleased when we bear, when we, excuse me, when we gladly commit to bearing one another's burdens. That's what pleases him. So in the same way, God wants us to gladly happily, intentionally, excitedly bear one another's burdens. What this means is that our motivation matters. Our motivation always matters. Oftentimes, the biggest difference between a believer serving someone and an unbeliever serving someone is our motivation for doing what we're doing. So what is our motivation? What is it that should motivate us to gladly commit to bearing the burdens of other believers? What is it that's going to motivate us to be able to grow as a church and become a church, a group of people that consistently bears the burdens of other believers? What is going to motivate us and empower us to do that? It's the gospel, it's the good news. The gospel will motivate us. It's the good news that 2,000 years ago, the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ, came to earth as a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a gruesome death on a cross in his people's place for his people's sin. And while he's hanging on the cross, Jesus carried our greatest burden. Jesus is the great burden bearer. Our greatest burden is our sin against God and the guilt that comes with that. That's our greatest burden. We could never carry this burden. There's nothing that we can do about this burden. We can't get rid of it. We can't work our way into a right relationship with God. It's impossible. This is our greatest burden. On the cross, Jesus carried our greatest burden. He took the burden that we could not carry and put it on his shoulders. And he died in our place. He died on the cross and he was raised to life on the third day. Now, anyone that repents and believes that message will be saved. They will have eternal life. Jesus will be your ultimate burden bearer. That's who he is. When we realize that our greatest burden has been lifted, that we no longer carry around the guilt and the shame of the sin that we're responsible for, when we realize that burden has been lifted, this frees us, like we just, we just sang about uh, the song right before this. I love that we sang that. This frees us and this motivates us to bear one another's burdens. 
And so let's look back at our passage one more time. Galatians chapter 6. We'll look at verse 1 this time. At the beginning, I listed three things that I hope we see this morning. The first one was, what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? The second one was, what motivates us to bear one another's burdens? And now let's look at what might hinder us from bearing one another's burdens. In verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What Paul actually gives us here is an example of a burden. And it's one that we might not think of as being a burden, but it definitely is. Oftentimes, it's our greatest burden. And it's the burden of sin. When Paul uses the language, caught in any transgression, he's describing a believer that has been overtaken by a sinful act or behavior. This person might be characterized by a certain sin. You might think to yourself, so-and-so can be a real jerk sometimes. Or so-and-so isn't taking his responsibilities seriously. Or maybe they're struggling with lust or gossip. And they can't seem to get it under control. Maybe they're in your small group. And it seems like they keep confessing the same sin struggle over and over again. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. This is someone that's caught in sin. And remember, burdens are those things or those situations that we cannot carry by ourselves. We need other believers to come alongside us and help us lift the weight. And so it might be that this person, they don't even see their sin. They don't even know it's there. They don't even realize that they're being a jerk. And so they need a loving brother or sister to point it out to them. Paul says that in this situation, he says, you who are spiritual, we might substitute spiritual with, you who are mature should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, a mature believer should help this person get back to a healthy state. Now, I don't quote or tell you guys about Greek words very often, but in this case, it was helpful. The Greek word for restore was a word that was used back then as a medical term for setting a fractured or dislocated bone. So that's what the word restore meant. And so the person that's caught in sin, they need help to be restored. Notice something else. Paul says that restoration, it should be done with a spirit of gentleness. And so this is one of the reasons why Paul says that a mature believer should do the restoring it's because a mature believer is one who will be gentle with the person that's caught in sin. And so that's huge. Notice what Paul says next. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, some people take this to mean, and it could mean this, make sure you don't fall into the same temptation yourself. While you're helping someone out of a hole, make sure you don't fall in with them. And so it could mean that, but other people point out that in the context of this passage, Paul seems to be talking about something else. If we look back at chapter 5, 
in verse 15. Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And then again in verse 25, he says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It seems that there was some fighting or some disagreements going on in the Galatian church. And so Paul addresses this. And then in chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, right after our passage, he tells the Galatians not to compare themselves to other people in order to look down on them. So this is right after he says, bear one another's burdens. He says in verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so what Paul might mean when he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted, is that the one who is seeking to help this person should watch out for pride. They should watch out for pride in their own hearts. And that's because when helping someone that's caught in a sin, usually this brings about one of two responses. The first response is humility. Humility. With this response, you see how sin has hurt this person. You see how this person's sin has hurt those around them. You're humbled by this. You're sobered by this situation. You say to yourself, or or you say to God, God, please don't let this be me one day. God, please don't let me fall. You realize in this situation that you're just as weak and you're just as susceptible to sin as this person is. That's an important realization. That's humility. This leads to compassion. This leads you to want to help this person. You want to bear this burden for them and humbly restore them. That's the first response that can often come about is humility. The second response and the one that Paul is warning the Galatians about in this passage is pride. In this situation, pride says, I'm not as bad as that person. It says things like, I just don't understand how they could struggle with that. I just don't get it. I don't understand how they could do that. Pride uses this kind of a situation as an opportunity to remind ourselves of how great we think we are, how strong we are, how mature we are. Pride often leads to gossip. Pride is what's behind gossip. You might say things like, did you hear about so-and-so? They did this. And now I bet they get a divorce. They did this, and now they've lost their job. They did this, and now they're in counseling. Instead of bearing the burden of this person's struggle, pride stands on the sidelines and refuses to get involved. Or if they get involved, the prideful person, which could be any of us, if we get involved, we just make things worse. That's what pride does. That's what Paul's warning here, warning about here in chapter 6. St. Augustine, long ago, looking at this passage, he says this, There is no better test of a mature person than his treatment of someone else's sin. There is no better test 
Integrity Church, if we are going to grow as a church in this area, if we're going to become a church that gladly commits to bearing the burdens of other believers, we must deal with our own pride. We must deal with our pride. Pride could very well hinder us from bearing one another's burdens. We must fight the sin in our hearts. We must help each other fight the sin in our hearts. We must remind each other of the gospel. We must remind each other of the truth that our Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate burden bearer, has borne our greatest burden. He's placed it on his shoulders. He received the punishment that you and I deserved. We must remind ourselves of this. We must remind ourselves of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, where John the Apostle says, we love because he first loved us. The gospel frees us and it motivates us to joyfully bear one another's burdens. And so let me ask you this morning, is there anything that's hindering you from bearing the burdens of other believers? Is there anything that's hindering you? Is it pride? Is it laziness? Is it apathy? I think often that's my biggest hindrance is just apathy. Josh Harris is going to talk about that next week. Thinking about others, considering others more than we consider ourselves. Is it apathy? Let me encourage you this morning to fight those things as hard as you can. Because your greatest burden, your shame and your guilt has already been dealt with. That's the good news of the gospel. Another thing that can hinder us from bearing the burdens of other believers is not being involved in community. That can hinder us. All of these commands that we're going to talk about over these next three weeks or these next two weeks, serve one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens, these are impossible to do outside of community. And so maybe this morning you need to be encouraged to get involved in gospel community here at our church. Get involved in the lives of other believers so that you can know what burdens they have so that you can eagerly and joyfully bear their burdens with them. John Piper, one of my favorite, I would say favorite preachers, but favorite human beings, John Piper, he preached on this text 33 years ago. And I love what he said about it, so I'll close with this. He says, some of you wonder what you're supposed to do with your life. Here is a vocation. He's talking about Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Here is a vocation that will bring you more satisfaction than if you became a millionaire 10 times over. And here's the vocation. Develop the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself daily to making them lighter. That's a great vocation. May we all aim at that this morning. And may God help us to become a church that bears one another's burdens gladly. Let's pray.